If you're over 40 and want to be the best version of yourself, Fit Over 40 with Coach Clarence is here to help. Clarence Ferguson is a seasoned loan officer, fitness expert, personal chef, and entrepreneur who leads a revolution of men and women who want to live their best life going into middle age. Inspiring dialogue, challenging topics, and industry leaders are here offering tips and how-tos to improve your life. Now, here's Coach Clarence. Icon Inc. is a privately held debt-free company based out of Gwinnett County, which is a suburb in Atlanta. The company was founded by a small group of entrepreneurs in 2005. The company operates in a multi-billion dollar direct sales industry. The founder's vision is to empower people to obtain personal financial success. The company name My Econ is short for My Economy. Because the founders envisioned each individual taking care of their personal economy, just as governments and corporations take care of theirs. My Econ empowers its associates to attain financial success by earning business income and utilizing financial strategies in their income-shifting membership. The company currently has over 50,000 independent marketing associates and is one of the fastest growing companies in America. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Fit Over 40. I'm Coach Clarence, and uh, we are well into the new year. A lot of things going on, and I have always cool guests in the show, and one of my all-time faves is Dr. Marcy Batiste, and we're going to talk about that. She's a best-selling author, speaker, domestic violence champion, She's the founder and executive director of Nine Seconds Corporation, which I am curious about that. We'll talk about that. What's going on, Marcy? What's going on, my friend? How are you? I am fantastic. Yeah. Always fantastic. Good to see you. It's been a while. Good to see you. I know. It's been a while because you're famous. You know, I don't get to hang out with, I'm not one of the popular guys, you know, so you probably don't see me all the time. Yeah. You know, you could call my people. Call your people, Call right? People. I don't have people yet, so I'm, I'm not there yet. People, well, I have a person. People shine your people head. That's like, what I heard. Yeah, I just got my head shine, so maybe I do have people. <laughs> we're, we're at Fit Over Four. We're polishing head. <laughs> Apparently so. So what? I let's. What is nine seconds? That is a very interesting name. What does that mean? Tell everybody what that means. I, I do know what it means, but tell them. So the Nine Seconds is my domestic violence prevention uh, organization. We're a nonprofit. Um, we do innovative work in domestic violence prevention, uh, providing women with training resources that they need to secure their safety, their, their success, their health, their happiness, the whole nine yards. And when I started the nonprofit, I wanted to serve women in a way and give them all the things that I didn't have before it happened to me. Sure. And so nine seconds got its name because every nine seconds, a woman is either abused or assaulted in this country. And so we wanted it to be something that was a powerful statement with the name and something that people could remember. It was short. It was easy, but that it mattered. And I think every nine seconds matters. Excellent. All right. So since I've known you, I mean, how long have we known each other? What? I was trying to think about that before yeah. I came over today. It was probably... It? 12, 13 years? Yeah, yeah. All right. And you're an author. Tell us about uh, how many books have you written? I think you've done more than one. Yeah, I'm, I just finished. I just released number 10 or 11. Just to and give then, you an idea how popular she is and oh how famous gosh. she is, 
Her first book, I was able to get a physical copy that she signed and handed to me. Now she's on book number 11, and I have not even seen the other 10. I didn't even know about them. So, you know, this is what happens when you become famous. You forget the little people who are there when you first did your first book. No, I'm teasing. Uh-huh. But you've done a lot of books. No, you've done a lot. But you also moved away from uh, Arizona, which is home now again, right? I wouldn't call it home, but it's where I'm at. Where you're at, I like it's that. Where I'm it ain't at. where you're from, it's where you're at. <laughs> right, it's always about where you're at. Exactly. All right, so um, tell me about these books and what inspired you to write your first one, because that's a lot of work to write a book. Yeah, so the first one was called Journey to Find Your Butterfly Potential, and that was really um, a platform, a, a book for me to first be able to tell my story. Before you can motivate somebody, before you can inspire people, you have to be able to tell the story in a way that people can relate to, that they can resonate with, that they can kind of see themselves in the story. And when I wrote that book, um, I kind of actually agreed to do it with no intention of ever completing it. So mm-hmm. um, I had met a mentor at the time and I had, I had said that I would do it. And I felt obligated then at that point because he had spent uh a great amount of time working with me on building my business, creating a platform and all that kind of stuff. And the book was a critical piece to that. And I was like, Oh, I'll just say, yeah, but then I just won't do it. And people aren't going to follow up and nobody will know. And that's okay. Um, But then I felt guilty. And so I was like, Oh man, I better, I better just do it. But I procrastinate, I procrastinate, procrastinate. So I agreed to do it in October. Um, by December, I hadn't even started it. And my mentor was like, when's the book going to be done? So I just threw out February 14th. <laughs> like, that sounds good. Um, I hadn't started it. It was December. And didn't I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted to talk about. I didn't know how I wanted to frame it. None of that stuff. All of the things that keep people from writing books, right? So I do author coaching now because... Those are the things that keep people from writing books. I need to get with you on that because my book is so many pages and nothing's ever done with that. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. So um, that was kind of how my marriage started. Like I agreed to it, but I never really had full intentions of completing. He said it. I never sold out to the concept. <laughs> it was a, it was an agreement on paper, right, but not exactly. in my soul. I do sort I of. <laughs> I understand. I had a marriage like that, but we just weren't married to each other. So oh, that's good. Yeah, that's good. I like that concept. Yeah. We're married, but we're not married to each other. Exactly. <laughs> um, so anyway, so. Um, in January, I finally realized, you know what, this book is due in like six weeks, you better start. And so I actually went up to Sedona and just, I hiked for miles and I went to the Vortexes. And it's one of I, my favorite books it I is, have it in my collection. I love, I, really I love, love that book. I love how it happened. Um, and so long story short, the bulk of the book was written that weekend uh, that I spent in Sedona. So from Friday night to Sunday afternoon. So do you, do you, would you recommend people doing that if they have ideas they need to go on somewhere and seclude themselves and just pumping it out? So I do if you are in, if you, if you, how do I want to say this? If you kind of know what you're there for, yes. If you're going at it from a, Oh, everybody tells me I should write a book and you just go sit yourself in a hotel room for a weekend on the beach. You're going to leave the hotel room with a fat bill and no book because Mm -hmm. you don't have a plan. So although I didn't know how I wanted to talk about it, I knew the things I needed to tell because it was my story. 
So I knew I needed to talk about my upbringing and domestic violence. I knew I wanted to be honest about my abortion when I was 17, because those were things that, that I was holding on to was baggage that I was carrying with me that I couldn't be free without telling that story. Because the worst thing you want is to become successful, to become famous, and then all them skeletons in your closet come falling out. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, damn. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> so, and so, seems like they only come out when you get famous. That's the only time. Remember Don't us? nobody care. Don't nobody care yeah, what you us? did, what exactly. sins you committed. As soon as you get famous. Right. Remember Until me? it matters. And once it matters, then it really matters. So, it's like Chris Rock said, the ghost of pussy passed. Right. <laughs> That's the true story for me. Remember me? Oh, yeah. Hi. Right. <laughs> Oh boy, I hadn't heard that one. Okay, <laughs> come back, Marcy. That? Come back, come back. Come back. I'm sorry. I, I, um, I can be distracting. <laughs> that was distracting. I'm sorry. And there's just, just so reset. many, so many, so many old memories. But anyway, <laughs> um, so what was I saying? Now? You were talking about so, the, oh, the book, book. The book. book. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Um, anyway, so needs help. <laughs> I needed to talk about. I needed to talk about the things, the, the skeletons that were in the closet. And then I needed to talk about my experience with domestic violence. I needed to figure out a way to talk about something that's hurtful and it's dark and nobody wants to talk about it and it makes people uncomfortable, but I needed to talk about it like we needed to have the conversation. And so what I did was I framed the story in a life cycle. So I use the life cycle of a butterfly. And so you've got your eggs and your larva and the, the chrysalis and then the transformation into the butterfly, right? And so I talked about everything that we go through happens in predictable stages. And so you have these these cycles of life and these cycles of evolution and cycles of friendships and cycles, whether you're going into a new job or whatever the case may be, you have these cycles that you can predict. And so I tell the story from this is what it was for the butterfly this is what it looked like for me. This is how I got there. And this is how I got out. And I think nobody ever tells, they tell you how I got out. They don't tell you how you got there. Like what, what, what put you there? What landed you there? What was it like when you were there? And then I can tell you how I got out because if you understand how you got there, what it was like when you were there, then, and somebody, somebody lets you know that there's, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. There's, it can happen for you too then people can buy into that. They can relate to that and it can, it can motivate somebody to change. And that for me was the goal for all of it was to, you know, get my dirty little secrets aired out. So nobody can come back and talk about, Oh, you did this or you said that I sure did. I'm all the, I did all the things you say I did, but I'm not who you say I am. I love that. That's true. That's a true statement. So speaking of that, how did you get in your situation since you've had time to heal and reflect how did you get into your situation, which caused you to deal with uh, that violence? I don't like to use the word domestic because it's just violence is everywhere. I call it relational violence. Relational violence, yes. Because it's not always intimate partners. Sometimes it's family. Sometimes it's friends. Sometimes it's your producer. You she know. powders your head, bro. Like she just, does, but that's the that's the hot and cold of man. it. You know, the bipolar. One minute she's polishing my head, the next minute she's hitting me over it. I don't know. I you mean, know? I've known I've known Laura for like ten minutes now, and she does not seem like that's how it always works, right? You, you point the person who's abusing you. And you're like, really, him, her, right? And then she leaves, and she's like, you said that shit. We just did an episode on last night on my podcast about narcissism. Right. So <laughs> she, yeah. So that's what you're telling you see me. See her here. after the Cardinals lose. Boy, she's a hot mess. You don't want to be nowhere in the vicinity of Laura because, yeah, she's going to be like that on 
Maybe we might cancel Wednesday. We'll see. <laughs> Be a Skip funeral. right past it. Skip right past it. <laughs> yes. All right. So let's talk about that because you have a great story. And I've always wanted to talk, but now I have this platform to do it. So right. let's talk about your journey and be as open as you want to be. You can cuss. You can say things. This is don't, tell me I can, don't tell me I can cuss because, you know, I cuss. But, Especially um, watching them Steelers. I mean, oh, I'm sorry. Did I go there? I'm sorry. I wasn't. We're so early in the podcast. We, we are. Like, we yeah, have a we'll lot get of time. Because I know you're going to talk about my Ooh, Cowboys. I like, can tell you're ready. Yeah, because you know we are. They're not even worth talking about. Wow, so why would see? I? Exactly. <laughs> okay, over there, Cardinals. <laughs> <laughs> you guys <are> like. <laughs> I told you I liked her. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I was going. I'm gonna save my jokes for later. <laughs> I got jokes for her. But go ahead. Let's talk about your story. So what I realized was that for me, when it, okay, so when it happened, April seventeenth, two thousand twelve, that day it happened. I didn't. I didn't understand how I got there, and it took a while. You know, I remember looking in the mirror that night and I'm, you know, my eyes are both swollen shut. Both my lips are busted. I'm bruised up, bruised on my arm, scratches on me. And I remember looking in the mirror and saying, how did I get here? How did I become that girl? Because I had lived, I thought my entire life in prevention mode of that day. Mm -hmm. So, to then take it all the way back. I grew up in an abusive household. I watched my stepfather beat my mother. Um, I had abandonment issues from my, my, my biological father, who still to this day doesn't acknowledge my existence, but whatever, you're lost because I'm freaking fabulous. That's right. Um, and so I, had, I was carrying all that stuff with me. So I have unhealed trauma that I'm just dragging along. And so I was seeking out in various relationships. So when I, I got married when I was... 21. Um, I met my ex-husband when we were 17. Um, he was the opposite of the guy who I had gotten pregnant by and had an abortion for when I was 17. So I meet him like right after that happens. He was the complete opposite. Um, and so I thought, this is good. This is safe. I'm, I'm back on track because when I watched my mom, when I ran away from home when I was 13, I was like, as long as he's there, I'm not coming back. If you want to live like that, that's on you, boo-boo. I'm not about to do it. That's not who I am. That's who you are. Leave me out of it. So she puts him out. I run away. Long story short, go back to the husband. He's the opposite of all of that. He doesn't drink like my stepfather. He wasn't running the streets like my ex-boyfriend. He was loyal. He, you know, was all of these qualities that I thought would make it would fill in the blanks, basically. It would give me what I was missing. But I didn't even know I was looking for anything. And so then I realized after we were dating for a while, he's the opposite of me, too. Like, we had zilch in common. Nothing. Not one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm an introvert, but I'm aggressive. I'm assertive. I'm... You know, I'm out there, I'm, I'm going going after what I want. And he was not any of those things. He was very much um, introverted and antisocial. And so while I'm introverted, I'm still very social. I love being around people. I love entertaining. You know that. Yeah. But <clears throat> I value my time by myself. And so I was just like, yeah, this is not, 
But then I got pregnant. And, you know, I'm, so here I am. I'm what, 20 at the time. I'd had an abortion three years earlier. Um, I can't do that again. That was destructive to me. Um, and I, I still carry those, that decision, right? And I'm just like, I got, I got to have this kid. I got to have this kid with this guy. And so now I got this little girl and I got to, I got to do what's right for her. The hell with what I want. It ain't about me no more. It's about this little girl. And so um, he had been asking me to marry him for a long time. And I was like, finally, I agreed to it. But like, I wouldn't have a wedding. Like, we had to go to the courthouse. (laughs) Like, I don't really even want nobody to know I'm doing it. And it wasn't from a standpoint of I'm ashamed or I'm trying to hide the fact that I'm married. I just didn't want to be married. I had dreams. I wanted to travel the world and I wanted to work for a magazine and I wanted to interview people and I wanted to make a difference. And I had all it. He didn't have any of that. (laughs) He didn't have any of that. He didn't have any. And then even if you try and give somebody, if you try and give somebody who's not goal oriented a a goal, Mm -hmm. they will run from it. So even when they tried to give him promotions and stuff, he would decline promotions. And I'm like, bro, we need money. No, I don't want that $100,000 raise. No, I'm going to stay right here on minimum wage. And so I'm just like, you know, over the years, but I had sold out to it. And so three years later, I had my second daughter. Let me daughter. ask you this. What, what made you, there's an important part in what you're saying. What made you compromise you for him? That's what it sounds like. Do you, I mean, I know you didn't know it at the time, but you, you've been out of that mm-hmm. experience. What made you compromise yourself for him? My daughter. So you were you're saying it was all about your daughter? It was all about my daughter because so I have, a like I said, abandonment issues for my father. My only experience with him in person was when I was four. And he, I thought he was coming to see me and he came to cuss my mom out for calling him. Wow. And he never even spoke to me, never even looked at me. And then... Um, I was molested when I was 12 from my stepfather, someone in my stepfather's family. And I attributed all of that to the fact that I did not have my dad. If I had my dad, my life would have been different. That's that's the message that I recorded. And that's the track that I replayed. Mm -hmm. And so when I had my daughter, I was like, she can't have she can't have those experiences. So we got to be a two parent household and we got to hold this this shit down and it's got to be all that it has to be and whatever i have to do to make that happen i'll do it and that's what i did good stuff i like it all right so when did the physical was it a one time occurrence or did it what i've heard from uh victims of uh, domestic violence is that it's something small that you kind of let go and then it builds it could be a grabbing an arm it could be raising the voice and it escalates into now you got hands on you. And it even starts smaller than that. So um, fast forward. So I went through a bunch of a series after my divorce of relationships that were just all like seeking. At that point, I'm seeking fun. I'm trying to make up for lost time, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. When I moved to Arizona, um, I got involved with a man who was narcissistic. I didn't even know what a narcissist was till after I was out of it. I told you we just did an episode on Voiceless to Victorious last night. Um and it was devastating. It was probably the worst experience, even to date, that I've had in a relationship. Um, 
But when I got, when I finally got the courage to get out of that after three years, um, the next guy that I met was. Let's, hold up a second. Let's circle back. Yeah. When you got into the relationship with the narcissist, do you feel you were healed at that time or are you still healing? I didn't know there was anything to heal from. I didn't think anything was wrong because with me. I didn't I'm, think, I'm I didn't know the baggage. For a reason. Yeah. Sometimes two broken people, it's going to be a mess. He it was a whole mess. Issues, his own issues. Then you had yours and you guys combined. So now it's like this. It's just a matter of time. It's going to blow up. He may have been worse off or in a worse situation being you called a narcissist. So I'm going to tell you what it was. So when I got out of my marriage, um, I moved to Arizona about three and a half years later, four years later. Um, my ex-husband had no ambition. He made no money virtually. Um, we lived, you know, I mean, he, he contributed to the household financially, but in a limited capacity. But he took all of the luxury of my executive salary, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so then when I met this dude, he was making, you know, $250,000 a year. He was a cell phone engineer. So he was traveling around the country, installing towers, all this kind of stuff. And he paid for everything. For the first time in my life, my salary was spending money. And I made a good salary. Yes. So... I was like, oh, Canyon. <laughs> um, and then, so it was fun. It was exciting. The sex was dope. I was just like, yes, this is, this is about that life, right? <laughs> um, but he traveled all the time. So that was even better because I don't have to deal with you all the time. Right. <laughs> so when you're here, it's great. But you only hear like one week out of every, you know, three to five, maybe six weeks. So, okay, cool. Um, but then... I started realizing like everything that he told me wasn't true. Mm. Like you don't own two houses. You don't even own one. You don't even, I don't even think your name's even on a lease. Yeah. Um, then I found out that when I met him, he was actually living with a woman. Um, and everything just started to crumble, but I had sold it to be, this is that. Right. And I tell all my girlfriends, if it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. If a dude is perfect, I'm a guy. We fuck up. We 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 gonna do something dumb. If you're telling a story that you met this guy, he ain't never fucked up, he's never done anything wrong, something is he's good. He's just hiding a bunch of shit. Cause most guys yeah. will screw up. So I hit this girl, oh he did he this, and I'm like, oh, just wait. Yeah, he was hiding a lot <laughs> of shit. A lot of shit. All right, we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be back with Fit Over 40. All right, welcome back to the show. We are with Dr. Marcy Batiste. And we're talking about the shiny man who was really rusty. We're just going to take it from there. So as you started to figure out these things in his life, did you discuss it with him? Or how did you deal with that once you found out? So this is when I I didn't really know what a narcissist was at the time. But this is when I realized shit was way out of hand. Um, because I became obsessed with proving that I was right about it. I was right about the cheating. I was right about the lying. I was right about everything, but I was obsessed with it to the point where like I was going back through phone bills. Like when I tell you phone bills, 
I'm talking our phone bill at the time was probably 20 something pages every single call yeah, line item by line item the phone bills the highlighting yeah, now you can get it electronically and never yeah. look at it so I'm building patterns in the phone bill I'm going through the emails I'm going through when he would leave the house I would follow him sometimes like I lost my shit okay um then he he started seeing this one woman and somehow she got my phone number so she starts sending me pictures, explicit pictures. So this is grown folk show, right? So she sends me Haven't one. You night. heard the first half. <laughs> so she sends me. This was the picture that you snorted. <laughs> like, did you listen to the first part of the show? You're so here. She sends me this picture of him eating her. Whoa. Okay. And he said, did he? Okay. Let me just see. I'm going to go somewhere sideways. Go ahead. Baby. He said, that's not me. That's not me. He did to Eddie Murphy. It wasn't me. That's not me. It wasn't me. I said, (laughs) you're wearing the shirt I bought you. (laughs) Are you shitting me? It wasn't me. I swear, baby. What's that Shaggy song? Wasn't me. But naked on the bathroom. Wasn't me. Wasn't me. (laughs) Baby. So then I know I that mole on the back of my head. She drew that wasn't on. Me. She drew that on. <laughs> wasn't me. Everything was wasn't me. Mm-hmm. But I was attached to his son. So we had a, he had a one and a half year old son at the time that I met him. So I'm in, I mean, I'm raising this kid basically, and I'm extremely attached to him. Like I've always wanted a son and his little boy meant the world to me. He meant everything to me. And so I kind of took on that same sort of level of responsibility for his son that I did with my daughter. Like I'm going to do what I have to do to make this work and whatever it costs me is what it costs me. And the way that I finally got out was because I almost got arrested one day um, because he butt dialed me on the phone and I show up at this restaurant because I could tell from the phone conversation he's with these chicks. And so I show up at the restaurant and they're sitting at this big table, like right in the front of the restaurant. There's like six people. So I walk up behind his chair. I'm like, boom, latch onto his chair, latch onto some chick's chair, and I ain't moving. Introduce me to your friends. Oh, boy. And what did he say? Marcy, let's go outside. I ain't going no goddamn where. Introduce me. You either introduce me to every person at this table, or I will make the biggest scene that we will all end up in jail. Well, look, (laughs) I mean, I was really the only one that almost (laughs) ended up in jail. Somehow that plan didn't work it out. Didn't, it didn't quite work. The restaurant's like, ma'am, we can't let you go back in. Da, 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 da. Um, but long story short, I was a bank executive. I was a leader in the community. And I almost sacrificed everything for this piece of shit. Yeah, you're angry. To prove what? Prove what I already know, that right. I'm right, that he's a liar, that he's a cheater, that he's not... Worthy? Like, I already knew those things, but I felt like I needed to be validated. I needed it to be vindicated. I needed somebody else to acknowledge it. I needed more than anything for him to admit it. And it took all of that. It took me almost literally going to jail for me to say, you know what you know. Just go. Just leave. And if, if, if the little boy is a casualty of war, then so be it. That's a, you have to sign off on that. And it turned out like me and his mom had a great relationship, so it didn't turn out that way. But I, it took me getting to that point, willing to give up anything to be able to say, I need to walk away. And so, yeah, that was sort of the end of that. You have a very popular photo that is all across social media and you were clearly abused or 
went through a very violent physical altercation. Tell me about that. So that was the next relationship after that. Um, So I was single for about two and a half weeks and I meet this other guy and he's the opposite of everything that other guy was, I thought. So to him, I'm like everything. I'm on this pedestal. I'm like the dopest chick. I'm like the most beautiful. I'm the most special. I'm just the most of the most of the most of everything. And it felt amazing to have somebody just want me. Like everything else was always conditional. And I felt like for the first time, somebody just wants me. And I'm like, okay, let's rock this shit out. Mm-hmm. And we did. Like, we had great times. We had amazing times. Like, but everything was extra. The passion, extra. Sex, extra. Fun, extra. Drinking, extra. Clubbing, extra. Everything we did was on 10. But it was exciting. It was exhilarating. It was the opposite of my career as a banker. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think you said earlier that things start out small. And I said it starts smaller than small. Mm-hmm. And it's things that are invisible to the naked eye. And what I mean by that was when we were out, he would have to be touching me the whole time. My arm, the back of my chair, have his arm around me, hugging me, pull, yes, like pulling you into, like if he's sitting at a bar stool and I'm in front of him, like had to be touching me. I thought that was like, oh my gosh. Ooh, yes, this is saucy. Then he was like wanting us to wear the same colors when we'd go out sometimes, a lot of times, most of the time, all the time. Y'all cripping or blushes? You got to wear, wear blue. We got to wear red. The outfits always coordinated. Coordinate. Like your tie matches your earring. Coordinate. Um, I have issues. We coordinated. This is probably the reason I do all the shit I do. This, <laughs> so, is, this, this is a whole nother show. And so even that, I was like, aww. And then the first night where I realized that there was propensity for abuse but i didn't see it as abuse i saw it as jealousy hmm. but so, when that jealousy did you feel like oh he loves me he because sometimes did. jealousy is mistaken as look how much he loves me. i did that's yes. exactly what i right, thought right and then i made an excuse for it and i gave it a pass because we'd been drinking and so we were out one night and we're in the club he's like let's get ready to go i'm like all right let me go to the bathroom then i'll pay the bill um, don't get me started. Um, and so I told you I'll do it. We'll do whatever I need to do. So I go to the restroom and you know me like, and especially, you know me when I'm tipsy. So I'm chitter chattery when I'm tipsy. I'm a happy little hey. junk. Hey, baby. What's going on? Right. How you doing? And so I'm on the way legit to the ladies room, but I get distracted. So there's a guy, he's sitting outside the men's room, and he's selling lollies. Mm-hmm. You know, them little fat round ones that got Tootsie Roll in the middle, yes, and yes. how many licks does it take yeah, to get to exactly. the, that? Tried, I've never figured out the formula, but Me I've either, because I always crunch. <laughs> so I'm like, 
So I started talking to him. Now I'm 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 ribbing the guy because we don't have an attendant for the women's room. Yeah. Like, why don't the women have one? That, right. that's, that's the context of my conversation. Right. Like, why y'all got all this and you got lollies? And really, like, it's weird if a guy is sucking on a lolly anyway. It should be the girls, if Not anything. Do, it's all how you do it. Telly Savalas used to do it, yeah. like, but that yeah, ages sexy. me. So yeah, yeah. that age. But look, it's how you do it. If you look across a woman, you like, you know, stroking that lollipop. That's good for you. Just I, I don't know how I know that. Just I've heard. Well, I don't know how I know that it matters, but I know. <laughs> so here's the thing. Yes, so this is matters. the conversation, right? <laughs> uh-huh. And so I'm talking about these lollies. How much are they? They're a dollar. They're two for a dollar. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to get me one. And I turn around. And you know how you could just feel somebody? Mm-hmm. So I turn around. Bro is like right behind me. So I pay my dollar, get my lollies, <laughs> and I'm like, he's like, when I tell you I'm ready to fucking go, I'm ready to go. Ooh. So he switched it. I'm like, well, you're a buzzkill. So I got my lolly, and I <laughs> pop my lolly in my mouth, right? <laughs> you want one? He's not laughing. Right. And so the by the time. time we got from the club down, down the escalator at the casino, um, heading out to the car, he snatched the sucker out of my mouth. Cause I'm like, why are you tripping? Cause he's like dragging me by my arm at this point. Now I'm in heels and our friends are like, what is going on? He snatches the lolly out of my mouth. And then I don't remember what he said or what I said. Cause I know I got kind of a slick mouth sometimes. So I think, but I think I just was like, you know, what is your problem? And so snatches it out of my mouth and hits me in the face with it. Like almost shit my tooth. Like hit me that hard. Like I didn't even know teeth had feeling, but I felt it. (laughs) That's how hard he hit me in the mouth with that sucker. They do. Then he took it and he threw it. And then when we got in the car, he's like, take me home. You were driving. I was driving. It was his birthday. So this was like, we were out with friends like to celebrate his birthday. Like, I'm not taking you home. We're going to go where we said we were going to go. Da, 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 da. And um, that was the first time. And that was the moment. And I never registered with you. Like, that was awkward. That was. It was different. weird. But I was like, he's drunk. I'm he's jealous. And it just got blown out of proportion. You know, da, 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 da. still da, thought da. it was cute. He was just jealous because you. It he, wasn't. In his mind, he was flirting with another man. Yeah, I didn't think it was cute. But it didn't register with me that I'm in the throes of an, a similar situation to what I witnessed my mom go through. I never, it never occurred to me that that could turn into what it turned into two years later. And so then the next um, episode, um, he, I was, I was, he had asked me what I was wearing one night and I said, I'm going to wear a red dress. And when I came down the stairs that night to go out, um, he had on a red polo shirt and I had on a teal and white sundress. And as I'm coming down the stairs, I don't even get all the way down the stairs. It's like, where's the red dress? I'm like, oh, it's going to be hot tonight. So I just decided to wear this. Oh, where's the red dress? Marcy, where is the red dress? I just told you it's going to be hot. I didn't want to wear it. He's making such an issue of it 
that I was just like, forget it. I went upstairs and put on the red dress, came downstairs. Everything was fine. Again, we don't really recognize the signs. And so, you know, I teach a class called relationship red flags because we don't recognize the signs and we don't recognize what it's truly making us feel like. And we're not understanding even sometimes why we're giving people passes on their behavior. You know, we co-sign bullshit because of something in us. And so I was co-signing everything that I co-signed because I needed him to continue making me feel freaking amazing. Mm -hmm. I needed him to make me feel wanted. I needed him to make me feel all these different things. And after the, the physical assault happened, which I'll get back to that, but I went into therapy as part of my healing process and I was sitting in therapy and I'm, I'm explaining all of these, you know, experiences to the therapist and because he was married. Did I mention that? I forgot to mention that. Well, no, we missed that part. We missed that part. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and so, I mean, this, this relationship, there's so many other stories, but I know we don't have that much time. Um, but when I was sitting in therapy, the therapist said to me, so you sold your soul to feed your ego, huh? I like that. Sold your soul to feed your ego. I was like, shit. And they hit me. Tears just started pouring. Because for the first time, I understood that it was my choices. Right. Ultimately, it's the people don't want to hear that, especially in abusive situations that you've made some choices that created that right. scenario. You know, and that was for me when I was in the mirror um, that night that it happened. I, I recognized then that I was the common denominator to all of the abusive, toxic, dysfunctional, mm-hmm. unbalanced, unequally yoked relationships that I'd ever had. I was a common denominator. The fools didn't know the fools. The fools only knew this fool. Right. And so I was like, okay, so if you are, if your choices are part of the problem, then you are part of the problem. And if you're part of the problem, that sucks. But the good news is I'm in control of me. You're in control of yourself. You're in control of your choices. You can make different choices. You can fix it, but you have to commit to fixing it. You can't just expect that. Oh, I talked about it with therapists for a couple weeks and I'm better now. Like, no, this is intensive self-work. This is intensive healing work that you have to do. But it's 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 on you to do it. And so that was, the, but that was the defining moment for me when she said that. I was like. Sometimes that one phrase, that one sentence, it hits for you. And it's different for everybody. It could be something random. You might not, you just, you might be telling a story and you say something to somebody and they go, that's it. That's yeah. it, you know. But realizing, and I say this all the time, when you point one finger at somebody, there's three pointing back at you. Yeah. A lot of times you're always, if you go back deep, because when I listen to you, when he hit you with the lollipop, I mean, for him to hit you that hard that the lollipop hurt your teeth, you have to swing that pretty hard. I mean, if you get hit, I mean, we, we've all eaten, eaten lollipops. It's like right. hit your teeth and it goes, oh, click. But to hit somebody like, boom. That's like, wow, that's a sign like, okay, this dude might be right. <laughs> violent. Yeah. And so, you know, we went through we went through several different things through the course of the relationship. It lasted um, just under two years. And 
one of the things was, you know, because he was married, um, I had gotten to a point where I kind of wanted something for myself, but I didn't want him for myself. And like I used to tell him, like, I never want to be your number one because you'll always have a number two. Like he was a habitual cheater. And so like he cheated. He's cheated so much that people didn't even know. Like they thought that we were going to get married because they saw us together all the time. It wasn't like it was a secret. I mean, we were in public places. We were, you know, full, full eyes of the world on us. Right. Could run into anybody at any time. And so, um, but there were a couple of different incidences where I tried to right the ship a little bit. And so the biggest one, which was kind of the the beginning of the end, was me telling him this is a 70-30 relationship. I'm give, or it's a 70-100 it's relationship. And so I'm giving 100%. You're giving about 70. He said, well, for a guy in my position, most of them would only be giving you 25. And I said, you know what? You're right about that. But no matter, it's still unequal. So since you are incapable of bringing your 70 up to 100, I'm going to take my 100 and drop it down to your 70. And now we're even. And so he was like, well, what does that mean? I said, it means that this that the 30% difference, you don't need to worry about. So the 30% of the time that you're not here, then don't worry about who is. And it was that conversation that really began to shift the dynamic in the relationship. And he became more possessive, more obsessive, um, to the point that the day that it happened where he kicked my door and it was because he thought that I was going to, no, he thought that I was going to go out of town and I was going to meet up with an ex. And so he talked himself into a rage, kicked my door down, held me hostage, beat me the whole time while telling me, I told you I loved you. I told you you'd always be my girl. Told you you'd never go anywhere. So, yeah. So let's talk about your your process of getting to this point, the education, and how did you become Dr. Marcy? <laughs> so the doctor is, it's an honorary doctorate that I received. Mm-hmm. And it was in, it was in recognition. Um, my information, my, my portfolio of work for the last 20, 25 years mm-hmm. was submitted. And, um, we looked, they looked at my mentorship with young people. So creating kids banks, teaching financial literacy to young people, um, teaching the uh, relationship red flag classes to teens, and then my domestic violence work. And so the whole body of work, um, then I was deemed worthy or whatever of, of getting the honorary doctorate. Tell everybody about your podcast and where they can find you if they want to kind of discuss maybe a similar situation that they're dealing with. Oh, for sure. So nine seconds.org is my website and the podcast is listed on there. So it's, if you want to go directly to the podcast information, it's nine seconds.org forward slash V to V, which is voiceless to victorious. Um, and all of my information is there. All my contact information is there. That's the easiest place to find me. And then on all social media platforms, just Dr. Marcy Batiste. Excellent. And just for the record, I told everybody I was going to say this. As you guys know, I am quite the domino player. (laughs) (laughs) I've only lost to two women. One was ex-girlfriend and Dr. Marcy Batiste. And I feel better now that she's a doctor. So she must have studied her game and applied some science to beating me. So I'm able to sleep at night knowing that she beat me. 
I'm glad that you can sleep at night. But I, yeah, I, I you listen, know, I did lose a little. That was sleep. that was back before the doctor days. That was yeah, back that was, in. The, I know that's the crazy part. Like I, I lost when you weren't even doctor. I was. Right? I was. I was just me, just <laughs> whooping on you. I got receipts. Right, how many times did I whoop on you? Let's keep it a hundred. Um, probably like at least a hundred times. <laughs> but like they say. But one time, that but one, but that one time, but one time, <laughs> if uh, long as I got the receipt, I got you the do. photograph, I and, got the and proof. She is now beating people from the lessons I taught her, so I feel good about myself. <laughs> Hell, I retired after that. I was like, I don't even need to play no more. To play anymore? I don't need to play no more. Speaking of that, the Cowboys are going to retire after they beat the Cardinals. Oh, actually, they won't have to beat the Cardinals. I thought the Cowboys already retired. Wow, there you go. Okay, tell everybody real quick how you jump from. The, and you could tell the whole story. I don't, We don't have time for me to tell the whole story. Okay, well, you went from the Broncos to becoming a Steelers fan. Tell that story. So back when we were having all of the um, racial protests and... Which is always going on in America. All that, yeah. Right? So, you know, it was, after the, it was in the aftermath of George Floyd and all sure. that kind of stuff. And um, Coach Vic made a statement to the media about how racism is not an issue, racism is not a problem, and it's certainly not a problem in the Broncos locker room. I'm like, well, that's a whole load of horse shit because <laughs> the NFL, by its nature, I mean, you talk about trading people, you talk about selling people for dollars. Mm-hmm. It's you call it what you call it, but at the end of the day, the 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 NFL is made up primarily of minority players mm-hmm. for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, they're traded, they're bought, they're sold. We all sign up for it. I'm a huge football fan. I get that. It's the nature of the business and you sign up for the business that you sign up for. True. However, racism is an issue. Mm-hmm. And so for you to have a team that is comprised probably 75% of African-American non-Caucasian players and to say that race doesn't matter was problematic for me. Gotcha. Um, then to go on and say that across the country, it's a non-factor. It is a factor. There's people marching in the streets because it's a factor, because it matters. Plus brutality matters. Justice matters. Equality matters. Mm-hmm. So you say that. And so I'm like, okay, you can get past this, but what's Elway going to say? Mm. And what did Elway say? Not a damn thing. Mm. And that's why I left. So you went to the Steelers. So I did. So I did research because I'm like, okay, we got 31 other teams. We got 31 choices, girlfriend. You better make this pick good because you can't do you this twice. The Cardinals. I mean, because I would be like, whatever. It would never be the Cardinals. It would never you. be the Cardinals. It would never be the Cowboys. But I also okay, thought it would never listen, be the Steelers. I'm on your side now. I'm like on your side anymore. I'm going to call It'll the Broncos never organization. Be. You know why you it'll out. never be the Cowboys? Why? Jerry Jones. I know. He's damn. worse. I know. Damn. You, He's worse. Damned if you do and damned if you don't. He's worse. And I when know. I lived in Dallas for those two years, um, you really understand the the pull and the depth of his ability to run a city. Oh, I know. Um, I know. So, yeah. But um, so anyway, so I picked the Steelers because of their um, the let me let me say this. The hardest part about choosing the Steelers was getting past Ben Roethlisberger okay, because of his history with abuses towards women, um, the accusations. You know, I'm going to go ahead and call them accusations because I don't want you to get sued. Um, Appreciate that. But, uh, you know, it was... The, he was the, the opinions of the guests <laughs> are not representative. <laughs> not representative of the show host. 
Um, And so that was the biggest stumbling block for me. But as an organization, I feel like the Steelers have done a good job historically of being a just and fair organization. I value the work that they do. Um, Mike Tomlin, uh, obviously having an African-American coach for what the last 15 years Mm -hmm. that made it, that was important to me. But more important to me than what happened on the field for the Steelers is the work that they do off Off the field. field. And, you know, Tomlin specifically does work with an organization that helps go find um, young people who have been sold into human trafficking. And so traveling actually worldwide and donating his personal time and things like that. And then he took that information that he found and he brought that back to the players and several of the players joined in that fight. And to me, you have a spirit that is on a right path. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I can support that. Even if you lose every freaking game, I can rock with you if I feel like you have a a conscience. And I just felt like when Elway didn't speak out that I can't, I can't wear, I can't wear your gear. I can't, fund money and going to your games and doing all the things that you do as a, as a huge football fan. Um, so yeah, man, I bags of Broncos gear. I know you are I donated, I gave it away. It's crazy. Um, I mean, yeah. I had, I know you always had yeah. everything like whole rooms decorated for Broncos. I like, I had I a she cave and I, remember, I, remember I gave it all away. You, I knew when they played, you would have a comment. It was always a, I was looking at my Facebook memories today, and one of the memories was um, when you wake up and you know that you're going to beat the Steelers today. <laughs> I was like, boy, ain't that, ain't, ain't have the times have turned. That was from like, I don't know, six or seven years ago. And I was like, yep. oh, wow. Times, Facebook will remind you of your stuff, yeah. that's for sure. Well, I appreciate you sharing a little bit of your story, and um, we look forward to more stories uh, from you. And people also are are texting me saying when's the rematch so maybe we'll play dominoes live and I'll- i gotta i gotta pick up my uh i gotta pick up my my bones again because i yeah, i told you practice. i retired after that last yeah, answer when i gave I you not retired and i'm still whooping <laughs> tail across the town <laughs> so uh yeah Marcy Batiste, Dr. Marcy Batiste, and um, I love the 9seconds.org. So every nine seconds, someone is being abused. So thank you for coming on. And, for uh, sure. Thank you for reminding the world that you beat me, reopening that wound, if you, you will. You, hey, I didn't even say it. I, I was going to let you be I had to be honest about This great. is part of my therapy, being honest, that I did let two women. Let your secrets The out. other one won't be named. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> but she beat me, too. So it's all good. Two losses is not bad. You know, it's not like I'm the Cardinals where you, every week is a loss, you know. But anyway, um, all right. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in to Fit Over 40 with Coach Clarence. You can follow me on all platforms where you get your podcasts. You can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Just type in Fit Over 40 with Coach Clarence. You can also find me on YouTube at Coach Clarence TV. Like and subscribe so that you get all the videos as soon as we drop them. And last but not least, remember the golden rule. If you can't be good, be good at it.